Hey, 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 look out! Oh, my God, are you okay? Yeah, thanks. Oh, my God, you saved my life. Wouldn't there be some kind of reward for that? Oh, I... You know, you should be a lot more careful crossing the street, otherwise you could die, if that bothers you. Wow, Oh, uh, see, to me, this is a waste. What? The shirt you got on under your sweater. It sits in a drawer for three weeks, waiting to come out, and when it finally does, it only sticks up half an inch out of your collar. I'm Jerry Seinfeld. Jeannie Steinman. Hey, same initials. How do you like that? I like it. Menus? No, I know what I want. The usual? Yeah. And for you? I'll have a bowl of Cheerios, not too much milk. Okay, two bowls of Cheerios. <gasps> you too? Yeah. Hey. Did you hear the bank on the corner is offering $100 if you go in there and they don't greet you with a hello? Oh, really? That's nice. Ma, what's with you? They come in love. Oh, come on. No, it's true. This woman saved my life. I was crossing the street. I was almost hit by a car. And then we talked and the whole thing just seemed like a dream. If a guy saved your life, you'd be in love with him, too. No, this woman is different. She's incredible. She's just like me. She talks like me. She acts like me. She even orders cereal in a restaurant. We even have the same initials. Wait a minute. I just realized what's going on. What? Now I know what I've been looking for all these years. Myself. <laughs> I've been waiting for me to come along. And now I've swept myself off my feet. Welcome to Trilogy in Theory. My name is Webb, and this is my co-host, Mike. And we finish our trilogy today with Up in the Air, a film that I not so much avoided, but I got a review from my brother who mentioned it's kind of a difficult film to watch at this time. And this was back in uh, 2009. So uh, this is where I believe a lot of people were losing a lot of money and uh, it was the employment where there was a huge issue with unemployment. And so it's kind of hard to watch a film about people getting fired. And so because it didn't resonate well with him at the time, and he mentioned that to me, I was like, eh, I'll get to it eventually. And I finally got to it eventually in 2010, over a decade later. I don't know how I would have reacted to it when it first came out, but I had a grand time watching it this time around. For the most part, I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. What about yourself? Because you mentioned it for this trilogy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I was early on on this one. You know, got to support fellow Kentuckian George Clooney. You know, the, the one that that made good uh, the the most attractive Kentuckian to, to ever <laughs> <laughs> come from this this area. And uh, I, as you and I have talked about before. Uh, I am a fan of Jason Reitman. Now, we've talked in the context of his work with Diablo Cody, 
which, you know, I do think that she has quite a bit more to do with my fandom for him than him on his own. But this one is, you know, without uh, her, her presence as a screenwriter here. And so um, this was the follow-up to Juno for him, correct? I think yes. this was. Yep. So as a big fan of Juno, which we covered on the podcast, and that was one of our, our, our bigger episodes as far as downloads, which I do appreciate because you and I were so not defensive, but we're like, hey, we like it. You know, we know it's not cool <laughs> anymore. And by God, we've got a listenership that they yeah. think is pretty cool to like Juno. Uh, so I was ready and I was pumped for Up in the Air because – I also like, and this actually, I think, improves the viewing for me now than it did back in uh, 2009. Um, I like old-fashioned star vehicles. Where it's yeah, like, me too. It's like based on, like, you know, this is based on a novel, but to my uh, recollection, it wasn't some runaway bestseller. It wasn't like people knew the book and, oh, they're going to make a big movie on this big New York Times bestselling book or anything like that. It was George Clooney. As in a very Clooney-like character, you know, charming, uh, unattached, uh, you know, woos the ladies, uh, except for Anna Kendrick, who calls him old, <laughs> which I appreciate. <laughs> Father time comes for us all, even though it's taking a while to get to Mr. Clooney. I, I just look at it now, and I'm like, wow, these things don't exist anymore. Instead, it's, you know, George Clooney has to take his wares to a Netflix Christmas Day original that people... You know, I watched and I, I felt like this is no up in the air. Actually, I did another podcast on it and I pimped out this show saying we were going to be covering prime Clooney, like the good stuff, <laughs> <laughs> theatrical films. But it's it's just a simple hook. It's George Clooney uh, being really a man with no uh, no attachments. And he's got the best job for that type of philosophy in that he <laughs> he makes sure that people become unattached from their previous existence I do appreciate that the film had a real authentic people come back and say the things that they wish they could have said when they were being terminated, which is why most of those sequences, you don't actually don't see Clooney or Anna Kendrick in the shot because they just, you know, kind of had them come in, speak to the camera, speak, you know, off camera, and then they would cut it together. Uh, and then, you know, Zach Galifianakis, J.K. Simmons, they show up. I I was really into this movie other than... Inglorious Bastards from that year. This would probably be my my number two for that particular year. And if I'm being honest with myself, I find it a far easier rewatch than Glorious Bastards <laughs> because it has that movie star charm. You know, I mean, you're you're right. You're oh, dealing with very different. Fastbender. There's also, you know, well, you know, things don't turn out well for him. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Brad Pitt, it works That's out. <laughs> um, but up in the air is something that it's that. I have another buddy who hates these type of movies because uh, he, he always says, like, what is it? Is it a comedy? Is it a drama? What is this? Like, pick <laughs> pick a lane. And it is, you know, that dreaded, uh, as I was told him, I'm like, well, it's a dramedy. And he would just, I mean, he would just, like, I could just tell, like, his, you know, his, he'd start pounding the table. He's just like, no, no, bullshit. It's, <laughs> it's no good at either one. That's what it is. Has he um, ever had fusion food? <laughs> <laughs> I actually... He's a very high-strung gentleman. <laughs> okay. Okay. I remember once, and he he, he doesn't listen to uh, any of my podcasts, so it's fine. But I remember once him – actually, he's very Costanza-like, which it really insults him when that's thrown his way. <laughs> uh, this same guy who hates the term dramedy, he got very angry at a waitress once because – 
she never refilled his drink, <laughs> but she refilled she refilled everyone else's drink. But to her credit or discredit, the only reason she did that is because the rest of us were saying like, "Hey, can I get another whatever, another beer, water, whatever we were drinking?" We asked, and she was more than accommodating. But she never turned to him and said, "Would you like a refill as well?" But he felt that <laughs> that she should. He shouldn't have to ask. <laughs> I'm like, but did you go thirsty? Because that's the point. If you went thirsty, who really was the Costanza here? So that's fair. This guy hates up in the air. I find it very easily rewatchable, even though the subject matter is tough. And maybe that's the worst thing you can say about up in the air is that it's dealing with a tough subject matter in such a uh, sexy kind of clean package, like. Because, you know, if you had come in, I didn't know how you were going to feel about this because you told me you hadn't seen it. And I could have I could have seen a version of this, um, you know, if, if this year had been bad enough that Webb comes and picks on one of my one of my movies up in the air by saying that, you know, the greatest fault is that it removes the story of these people who are being fired, who have legitimate problems with a man who is trying to save up mileage, whose goal in life is are the miles themselves yeah. <laughs> not what he's going to do with them. I could see that being a leap, but the way you're talking, I'm guessing that Reitman and company and Clooney were successful in making you care about this guy's plight who has up to this point in his life been decidedly unattached and clearly, you know, or at least he's presenting a happy uh, existence in that way. I don't think that I ever empathize with him in in a way that I felt bad for his ups and downs, or good and bad for his ups and downs, but because it's Clooney, and because you're right, I'm I'm 100% right there with you. The star vehicles are just very exciting. In fact, I can't wait to do a double feature of this and Money Monster. I think it's going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> I think that because it's so easy to watch George Clooney, I enjoyed his journey. And actually, the part that felt, I guess, the most inorganic for me is maybe seeing that change from him uh, going from somebody who is not quite heartless, but very stoic in his stance about, no, this is the kind of life that works for me, and other people badgering him into having relationships when he doesn't really want to. And so as he progresses in the film, I do wonder how natural it would be for a person like that to go from that change so quickly. Him kind of dropping or letting go of his luggage is kind of powerful at the end, and I wonder if how honest and true it is. Did you believe it? Do you think that he is on his way to becoming hmm. that person who values uh, personal relationships more? I mean, I don't know how how much it would stick with a, a person in real life. I do think it's heightened because whether he recognizes it or not, he is falling for uh, this woman, Alex, played by Vera Formiga. Um, 
he does invite her to uh, attend uh, his sister's wedding, which for a man who's decidedly unattached, you wouldn't think it would be too troublesome for him to attend that type of function on his own because it just means he can <laughs> dip in and out quicker. I, I find the sequence where he asks his presumably youngest sister, Melanie Linsky, if she needs someone, he's, you know, he's just looking, he, he's like kind of hemming and hawing. Like, you know, if you, if you need some help, you know, if someone isn't there to give you away because their, their father had, had passed, he would, he would, he would do that for her as, you know, just to help out. And the, I don't, I don't want to say it's hurt on her face, but it's like, there's, she gets very sentimental in that moment because it's, there's genuine surprise that he would even reach out in that way. Now for a normal, you know, functioning family where you don't have this <laughs> this guy who lives in the sky <laughs> and you, you, he doesn't even have a home address. That probably would have been a consideration already. Uh, but she seems genuinely touched by just him trying to include himself in the family. That goes back to, I think for some people this would be a d difficult character to root for because I think they would want him to be punished more because they're like, you have chosen to live in exile and life continues on without you like you you have wanted to not stay in one place uh maybe as a way to not see how the people in your life are moving forward and moving on without your involvement i don't know if it would stick i i admire the film that you know it's not a woman that changes him for the better romantically because he ends up meeting his match he he you know to go back to seinfeld it's like that episode where jerry <laughs> finds himself in a woman it's like yeah. i've been looking for me this whole time <laughs> um you know in seinfeld uh shockingly the jerry character his defense mechanisms are greater than mr clooney here and that he's like ah this is not for me within a half hour sitcom he's like yeah that's a bad idea let's get rid of that um but clooney here shows up on her doorstep she's invited him in that way and that's when he finds that she she has you know a family that he is he is just uh, not a conquest but he's just uh, what does she call it he's just a distraction yeah from her what a gut punch her life it's a hard pill to swallow um and maybe that's where it brings people back around where it's like you can even bring Mr Clooney low who's so handsome and uh you know he's well dressed and financially successful he's got all the answers I think the biggest selling point on it though is Anna Kendrick. And it's because she is not playing cool at all. She's uh, playing someone that in some ways is more professionally deplorable than him because she wants to create even more distance uh, in this very personal business they have of firing people and basically trying to to bridge the gap between this like extremely emotional moment, this raw moment. She wants to <laughs> digitize it and do it over <laughs> an internet connection. But in all of the personal interactions she has with Clooney, whenever he's espousing this philosophy, she just pokes holes in it. And she, this is someone who is broken up with over text. She openly cries in a, uh, a way that my wife said, oh, that's an awkward, that's an awkward cry. Like, <laughs> yes, <laughs> I was, I'm right there with her. Yep. So she doesn't come across as like cooler, where it's like, oh, someone who's even more put together has a better philosophy. In fact, Clooney's philosophy may protect her in some way, but she still dismisses it as saying that's really no way to live. Like, yeah, I'm going through some personal hurt. Uh, she goes through some professional trauma in the film. A woman that she participates in, in firing does actually kill herself after threatening to do so. But she's still willing to allow herself to be exposed in a way that he 
is not. And that's why I think, I think the dynamic between those two characters is what's impactful of maybe having long-term change on the, on the Clooney character. I could see that. And actually his brief interaction and the revelation that the Alex character is married and has her own family. I think, uh, George Clooney's character Ryan really finds somebody's like, oh, there's somebody else like me, and we can have this kind of. Uh, I can find that human connection without ever calling it a human connection. When that image and that potential future shatters, where he realizes, oh, she's just as much of a human being as everyone else around me, and I and and our connection is completely false. I think maybe that could also get him towards this newfound revelation at the end. Uh, Anna Kendrick, I know you are a very big fan to say, to, to, like, undersell it. Um, I, I took uh, tapped my wife on the shoulder, and I was like, I think she's moving in my top ten. We don't need to get into what that top ten means. <laughs> and she just said, I know, I know. She's like, basically, like, just let me watch the movie. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> You know what? I'm going to actually have to show my wife this movie because, as, I, as I've told you, I, I screen movies now. Ever since I took her to Hereditary, never again. <laughs> never again. So I think she'll enjoy this one quite a bit. And oftentimes, uh, since my wife is unfamiliar with um, some of the stars in, in Hollywood, she knows who George Clooney is now. We've seen enough work from him, and, and she recognizes. I'm going to have to show her some old Roseanne episodes where he's got, like, flowing <laughs> locks and curls. I'm going to have to show her that. In case you uh, missed uh, last uh, week when I said that Webb should have been the talent manager for sitcom stars uh, across the globe. <laughs> there we <Yes>. go. <laughs> I think the uh, Anna Kendrick character was a little hard for me to like right away because I'm very infatuated with George Clooney and his lifestyle. And I'm like, all right, I want to see how this character's life plays out in in these specific ways that he's decided he's going to create these barriers and and she kind of plays to and i hate to say this but sometimes a script will go in those obvious directions and they're like oh she's the one who's gonna break that you know uh, those walls for him and make him a more and so i'm glad she ultimately doesn't maybe she chips away at it but after that awkward crying moment, I think I really begin to warm up to her, especially the sequence where she has to go through and fire all those individuals. Um, it, it's it's tough, and she's going through her own little journey there. So uh, she eventually did get the job done uh, for me, as I knew that she would. It, just, it really doesn't matter what role she's put in. Uh, uh, Anna Kendrick just has... Her, <laughs> I know, I'm sorry. <laughs> she just has that natural charisma um, that... It's hard to deny. Also, was very happy seeing some of the characters like uh, Jason Bateman, uh, Danny McBride, Zach Galifianakis, like kind of show up. Can we talk about men's hair for a moment? Certainly. What did they do to Jason Bateman's 
like the way it's combed or whatever. Like, you know, Bateman, look, he has a type, right? He could play swarming pretty easily. Uh, and he, he's got range. Um, I mean, when we talked about in Juno, the way he, that dynamic of that character Ooh, changes that relationship yeah. Juno, it's just like really well done. Um, but here he is playing a type and it's like the way they style his hair and like, I don't know, it just, the beard, it just looks like <laughs> douchey McDoucherson. It's just like <laughs> entered the picture <laughs> and that's saying something for Jason Bateman. Like you have to go an extra step to make him seem <laughs> even more uh white collar cruel and that's that's certainly here i'm going to give it up for the the costume designer or, or the person whoever picked out his wardrobe because he's got the tie i believe he's got suspenders i'm kind of double checking here but the way that he's dressed also really feeds right into that douchebaggery that uh, he's able to uh, evoke almost immediately really really good stuff the character's name Craig Gregory. Craig Gregory. Just. <laughs> like, I don't have time for a last name, okay? Two first names. I love it. That's great. Uh, and even the, the, the name of his uh, company, he's the owner of Career Transition Counseling. My <laughs> gosh. Just perfect. Uh, it, it's perfect. One of the things that I did, I wanted to go kind of an extra step. As soon as I realized, oh, this, this movie is about a company or individual who expertise is firing people my uh one of my best friends got his master's degree in industrial psychology and i was when he told me that i was like what is that turns out it's, hmm. it's a lot of uh, human resources work so as part of his job uh well his older job he has a new job now but one of the things that he had to do was he had to fire people and i immediately uh, paused the film and called him i was like hey mm. how did you have to deal with all this thankfully he most of the firings that he did almost all of them exclusively were because of negligence and people not doing what they're supposed to be doing i feel like most of the people in this movie it's it's more downsizing uh, and not something of their own well they're, they're sucker punch they don't i mean yes other than one sequence in the film where you see a poor woman working what i guess used to be the front desk and now this sort of empty office landscape of now just cords and like you know chairs with no desk anymore for the most part the people they're encountering have no idea it's coming for them i think clune even says this is to one character this is not a reflection of you know your your uh, on the job skills or you know something that you're, you're yes. not doing well enough and when i asked him that uh my friend that i i asked him specifically about like, what kind of reactions do you have to deal with? Because the, in the film, you've got outrage and yelling and, and cursing. He said a lot of what he's encountered is shock, uh, embarrassment. And then the anger kind of comes afterwards. Like, we're on Facebook, you'll see a post, somebody bitching about him, something like that. And he, actually, one of the things that really hit home was that he got a voicemail from one of the people he had to fire who did threaten to kill himself. And I was like, I was like, man, how did you have to deal with that? He said, I really did think about how I approached the situation. Maybe I could have done things a little differently. Sure enough, about a year after that firing, the individual he fired tried to add him on LinkedIn. <laughs> well, so things worked out, I guess. I think so. I... My friend did not accept <laughs> the LinkedIn. Yeah, probably don't open those doors again. No. Yeah. So it was really interesting to speak to somebody who went through these 
I don't know how you would do it because I mean, granted, you know, we all do, we all think that the things that we do are not that, I, I guess, of note. And, and I mean, I go and I go to crime scenes. I uh, have seen more dead naked women in my lifetime than I'll ever see live naked women. And so when I, I talk about these things very casually because, oh yeah, it's a dead body, time to write my notes and photograph my scene. It's horrifying to somebody who has no idea about this other kind of world. Whereas like I'm yeah. talking. I mean, I, I think you're a pretty big creep myself. But, you know, <laughs> yeah. Bring this stuff up. <laughs> Where, you know, I'm talking to my buddy and he's like, yeah, I, I had to fire these. And I was like, you had to fire people. Oh my God. <laughs> and so uh, one of the things that he also mentioned is you also have to take documentation. You have to note uh, if you spoke to them like, Hey, you did this and this was not good. And you have to kind of, uh, uh be aware of it and and be better at your job. Write them an email. Don't just have that conversation. Make sure everything's documented so that when they try to come back and say, oh, no, they fired me because they don't like me. No, there's a chain of uh, events and there's a pattern that can be established. So there's a lot more – there's more methodology to firing somebody, uh, especially when it's for negligence. Uh, straight up just downsizing because they have to and they did nothing wrong – that's tough. That's a tough pill to swallow. And I kind of knew that, the you know, anytime you see anything in film, it's going to be a little exaggerated. Um, very rare. Like, and I see that a lot with crime scenes, especially on films. It's, it's never – the one film I didn't see that in, in Gone Girl, uh, one of the things I loved – I may have mentioned this to you already – is after Ben Affleck's character goes back in the house, he sees the walls are dirty. And I don't know how many people took note of it, but I was watching this with a, a colleague in theater and I was like, look, the walls have fingerprint powder on them. Just like what, how they would if we processed the scene. <laughs> so that's Fincher's level of kind of detail. Um, but yeah, I thought it was fascinating to actually speak to somebody. And I'm glad I had uh, one of my best friends who was able to, who'd went through these experiences. And, and I was able to kind of get a real life example of what it's really like to fire an individual. I don't know if I could ever do it. I, I don't think that I have the, oh, I, I'm just not confrontational enough. I, I couldn't do it. Could you, could you fire somebody? Have you fired somebody actually? Uh, oh, he has, he no, has. No. <laughs> <laughs> to answer your first question and to ignore <laughs> the latter. Um, I, uh, I think watching this movie, I, yeah, there was something in me when I first watched it that was like, man, it'd be cool to be uh, the Ryan Bingham character. And do I want to fire people? No, absolutely not. Like, I'd be, I would fall more in line with Anna Kendrick as far as uh, looking at that long list, uh, having people like weep in front of me and beg. Uh, you know, I, I would be very uncomfortable with that uh, perceived position of power over someone else. When, as you've just kind of said, like, these are. These are gunslingers that come in. They don't actually really even know these people that they're firing, if they were good, bad, what have you. It doesn't matter. It's just to cross them off the list. But the, I would say the philosophical bent of the Bingham character is appealing. There's a certain degree of like, you know, really with any movie, like if you're a movie fan, you have to have some um, 
inclination towards wanderlust in a way because by going to the movies you get to drop in for a couple hours into someone else's existence and worldview and you get to live in that world um you know last week you and i got to go to wine country and i don't know which one of us was miles which one of us was jack i i I think to some degree (laughs) once sandra o starts swinging that helmet around both you and i would want to go home we would (laughs) the, the trip would be over but here being so unattached it would be neat but man i don't know then you start you get into the practical thing they do this film does an excellent job of making a living life in an airport and in a plane appealing has not been my experience and maybe i'm just one of the you know the the many idiots that you know i don't have the right bag i don't pick the right line i don't have the the right shoes or whatever it is but they do make it they they put you in a good place because clearly that's what the Clooney character believes. But I don't know, like that coming home to that empty apartment in Omaha that he's there for only 40 days of the year. I, w- I really wanted to program this movie for this podcast with you because it runs so counterintuitive to our, <laughs> our collecting sort of nesting ways of having our stuff. And I think it's so extreme that there is some appeal to me. But I don't know. I don't even know if I could last like two weeks of just constantly being on a, a goddamn airplane or just waiting in lines everywhere. He seems to really like it. But yeah, uh, I think Anna Kendrick had the right idea. Just go to San Francisco. Just find something stable. Go to a city you love. Uh, don't chase a young man to fucking Omaha. Omaha. Jesus. <laughs> I think the most fun I've ever had <laughs> in an airport actually happened when I ultimately missed a flight. And had to wait for a second one. And ultimately what I did was I took the opportunity to (laughs) quickly interview a bunch of people as I ran around the airport asking them their favorite movies. And it was for my old podcast. It's terrific. And it ended up being kind of this. Yeah. It ended up being kind of a fun situation. And I got a lot of crappy. I was like, oh, like Step Brothers. Like, shut up. (laughs) It's it's not a favorite film. Um, but it was, it was made I, for a better episode if you know seventy percent of the participants said stepbrothers. Like, well, yeah, sight and sound. I guess you're not uh, asking the right people because apparently stepbrothers. That was it. Yeah, um, but you're right. I, I completely agree with you. Uh, the last thing I'll say about this film, I think, uh, what is it, ten million miles he wants to get to? Absolutely worth it because he got to spend a little bit of time with Sam Elliott. I saw his name in the opening credits and I was like, oh, I can't wait for Sam Elliott. And then I was still blindsided when he showed up as the captain. I was like, oh, it was worth it. It was worth the wait. It was worth it. And the he botches million. it. He's just, he's not at that point in his life. It's just the wrong time for this to be happening because <clears throat> it doesn't mean anything anymore. Not, you know, the, I don't know if it ever would have. I, I, do you feel that way? Do you feel like obviously there's a lot of personal stuff going on? His, you know, his fallout with his <clears throat> burgeoning relationship, at least from his point of view with Alex, that you know meant something completely different to her. Or do you think he would have had a similar reaction once he got to that moment anyway? Because he, as he said, the the miles themselves were the goal. He didn't have any plan on what to do with them or what have you. So is it just something to where this is a guy that, even though he says he doesn't need anything to be bound to. Now that that's done, what I mean, what what does he have? What what is his, what's his thing? Yeah, what what's his unnecessary shrink wrapped Criterion collections that <laughs> <laughs> like you and I have? 
You know, and the film doesn't really answer that, right? I mean, it it leaves him. He, he's a man with no no particular place to go, even in his professional uh, life. I think that's Bateman's last line. It's like, you know, we're just going to let you. You know, you just set sail and you just drop us a postcard wherever you are. He's like, you're basically free to go do wherever you want, wherever you want. I don't know. It seems like this is a man who doesn't really want to have to make that decision. It's very similar to last week's film. Like he wants someone else to kind of steer the ship for him to point him in the right direction. You know, that's, that's kind of how life is. And that's one of the reasons that I do appreciate these kinds of endings uh, that are semi open-ended because no matter when you're right, no matter when that meeting would have happened, it wouldn't have gone the way that he imagines in his head uh, John Lennon once said that life. So what happens when you're busy making plans? And and that's a hundred. That 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 phrase is this film encapsulated uh, for Ryan. And I'm glad that it happened. I, honestly, like I I think for the character, I'm glad that the meeting happens in a time when he just doesn't need it to or doesn't want it to. He even says, "Oh no," because that realization hits him. <laughs> it hits him. And so uh, it's thrilling, and because. Sam Elliott, God, that voice, God damn, that million dollar voice. He even, the, the, his reaction to George Clooney says, I don't even remember what I was going to say. And I think the line is, isn't that always the way? And oh, mm-hmm. it, it does it. And and that that's kind of like. He was always going to be the pilot, wasn't he? He was never going to be someone that Clooney was firing. Oh, God. Sam Elliott. He was... No. <laughs> and I'm glad. You Can know... you imagine a different version of this where Zach Galvin is the pilot? <laughs> disappointing would that be use a cup of coffee hey what's the deal with decaf how do they get the caffeine out of there and then where does it go (laughs) that's a shame i'll just have a cup of coffee bowl of cornflakes more cereal that's your third bowl tonight you had it for breakfast and lunch hey so what's the deal with brunch i mean if it's a combination of breakfast and lunch how come there's no leper or no liner Frank just called me. Congratulations. Thanks, thanks. Look, I'm sorry about before. I mean, I'm sure I'll learn to like her, Jerry. Yeah, yeah. Come on, come on, what's the matter? I think I may have made a big mistake. (laughs) Oh, come on. All of a sudden it hit me. I realized what the problem is. I can't be with someone like me. I hate myself. <laughs> if anything, I need to use something the complete opposite of me. It's too much. It's too much, Kramer. I can't take it. I can't take it. 